0: We've been praying for Oral Tita, whose uh, pro- we call it prognosis, his diagnosis, whatever hasn't been good. Let's just put it that way. And to hear uh, that there's been a, a clear scan, uh, that he's cancer-free—is that what they're saying? That is pretty impressive, actually. That that is an answer of a lot of prayers. Oral um, and um, is uh, Alex's dad here, but uh, also dear to my heart because. Um, uh, uh, his wife, uh, Vicky, um, worked with me. I was uh, family pastor at Pinewood, and she was one of my staff. She, she, I mean, I kind of worked for her more than she worked for me. Let's put it that way. But uh, my I, my goal, because they ran, su- they ran such a good, and they still do run such a good program over there. My, I felt like my goal was to pray for them, encourage them, and find them money. <laughs> you know, try to pull money from places, other places in the church. So, um, but yeah, just uh, really. That's really exciting. Cool. Um, well, we are still in the book of Acts, in the beginning parts of this book, um, in a series uh, we were called uh, Empowered, the beginning of the church in the book of Acts. And the reason we've chosen to look at this, the beginning part of the book of Acts, we're not, we're not going to make it all the way through uh, 28 chapters of Acts uh, this summer, but uh, we're going to be looking at the first, you know, probably nine chapters or so at the very beginning of the church when the church began in its infancy and got started and really ultimately changed the world. When the church launched and got started, the, the world was flipped on its head. And, and if you were to subtract the Christian church out of history, and I think a guy named D. James Kennedy did this at one point and wrote a book about it. If you were to subtract the church out of world history uh, from that point on, uh, it would, our world would be... A much less place, obviously. And so, because the church has had such a profound influence on the the course of history throughout time. And so, uh, how did the church get started? And as we start and launch uh, this little uh, infant church, vintage grace, the question has been, how do we do this? What does this look like? And so on. And what we've seen is, ultimately, it requires the power of God. And that the early church began and started when God's power was poured out on the church and the people began to be spirit-empowered. And that's what we've been seeing all along here. And so um, this morning, if you guys would, turn uh, a Bible, if you have one, to Acts chapter 6 or your phone or tablet or something of that sort. Or, if not, that it will be on the screen up here as well. Um, and we're just going to be reading uh, the first... Uh, seven verses in chapter six. Now, in these days, when the disciples were increasing in number, a complaint by the Hellenists arose against the Hebrews because their widows were being neglected in the daily distribution. And the twelve summoned the full number of the disciples and said, It is not right that we should give up preaching the word of God to serve tables. Therefore, brothers... and and Parmenas, and Nicholas, a proselyte from Antioch. And these they set before the apostles, and they prayed and laid hands on them. And the word of God continued to increase, and the number of the disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem, and a great many of the priests became obedient to the faith. Let's pray quickly. Father, we again ask that you would speak through your word. Nobody here, I doubt, very seriously came to hear Russell talk. Or to hear my eloquent ideas. They came to hear from you. And so, Lord, speak through this broken vessel. And we pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. So we have an exciting topic this morning. Tintillating. This is the kind of stuff that gets people up in the morning. This is like, you know, cliffhanger kind of stuff. Which is organizational systems. Now, some of you are like, yeah. Like my wife. You start talking about organizational systems, you start, you pull out spreadsheets or charts, those kind of, Amanda, my wife, gets excited. She really kind of gets going. I, on the other hand, uh, head for the door. Like, that's just me. I, you know, Spreadsheets, organization, charts, all that kind of stuff, uh, just drives me crazy. It just gets under my skin. But, uh, that's the topic that shows up here out of Uh, in the middle of what's going on here in the the early church here. Um, We see um, here in in Acts, you know, uh, that God is very concerned about organization, of all things, about systems, structures within the church. I mean, this is the kind of stuff that will put you to sleep if you let it, if you don't really quite grasp what's going on and really what it's all about. Uh, okay, so, but let's just, let's just back up and think about where we've been and see what's happening here. So if you're reading through the book of Acts, maybe y'all have been reading along with us or whatever, and, you know, you're reading through, and as we're going along here, um, and you come to this chapter, you might have thought, like, that's weird. Like, why would this show up right here and now? Like, why would this kind of come out of nowhere? Uh, Okay, so, like, think about it, okay, Luke has been chronicling, he's been giving sort of a, an account of the, the beginnings of the early church to his friend, Theophilus, uh, and he's already, you know, he wrote, wrote the account of Jesus in the gospel of Luke, and then he kind of goes, okay, what then, what happens then? And he begins to tell the story, and he's been t- telling what the, you know, he's been going on, going along, and up to this point, the church, I mean, it's been exciting stuff, you know, like... The first sermon out of Peter, you know, he's, he, he starts preaching because everybody, thinks, you know, a lot of people think they're drunk, but actually they're super excited and filled with the spirit. And he gives this sermon and thousands of people come into the church that day. Um, and then we see um, that there's opposition, that there's, you know, people are beginning to, you know, as they preach the gospel, that they're beginning to be opposed and they're warned not to do it. And then we see uh, internal strife happening or just, the hypocrites of Ananias of fire, and they're struck dead by God. And then you see uh, uh, the apostles, Paul and them, are arrested and they're beaten. And all this stuff is going on. And, and all along the church is growing and exciting. And then you, all of a sudden it just stops and talks about, you know, forming a committee. Right? You know, this is what most would say, the forming of the first deacon's committee. Now, I don't know if you've ever been to a deacons' meeting. That's some exciting stuff, right? Like, who wants to go? Let's go. I can't wait to go. You know, we're going to go watch the deacons' meeting happen, right? No. No, there's no, nobody, you know, and, and this is, deacons are, te- you know, churches are usually trying to drag people into this kind of stuff. But, but here it is. All of a sudden, you have this deacons' committee being formed, right, in the middle of all this action and cool stuff going on. Uh, it just seems out of place, doesn't it? Have I mean, y'all kind of gather that a little bit? It's like, what's going on here? Um, you know, it seems out. So you know, especially so, you know, all of a sudden it's just this. There's this division happening between the Greek part of the church and the Jewish part of the church. And as y'all know, that's what happened. You know, the, the earliest Christians were, were Jews. They, the, the earliest disciples were Jews, but the message was. Uh, uh, was given out and, be, and began to be received by these Hellenists or Greeks, these foreigners. And that, and that became like the two big wings of the church, is the Greek-speaking church. And then you had your um, Aramaic, some, they probably spoke some Greek, but your Jewish believers. And there began this, this uh, division began to happen. And, but then, like, so right in the middle of all this exciting stuff going on, you know, he ventes this little division and a really mundane solution to it. Let's form a committee. And, you know, we'll deal with it that way. And so it's really surprising. Um, but, uh, you know, but really what's happening here is it's yet another uh, attempt by the enemy to destroy the work of God. Have y'all noticed it's been kind of going, going from one thing to the next? And what's interesting, I heard one commentator put it this way, is that the enemy, he doesn't have a whole lot of weapons to use against us. And one of the weapons God, the enemy can use against us is just straight out opposition from people who aren't believers. Right? So we've seen that. We've seen them arrested. We've seen them beaten or whatever. All right? But when the enemy can't do that... He is going to try, and actually probably is more successful in attempting to create division in the church within. And so you see with Ananias and Sapphira, you have um, that There's this hypocrisy beginning, and there's this resistance to the gospel in them. And so God acts in this really dramatic way. And I, I don't think that's a normal way God re- reacts. You know, no, I don't, I have, I've been in church ministry full-time since 2000 and years before that, part-time or whatever, and I've never seen anybody struck dead in the church. Okay, it's, I haven't seen that happen. Uh, so God was making a point, like, at the beginning, early, fragile points of this church that this is serious, that resistance to the gospel within, hypocrisy within, can destroy the church. We saw that. And then we see, okay, that didn't work. And so the enemy goes back to uh, the outward of opposition. And the apostles are arrested. You know, there's this potential of them being uh, killed. But they end up being beaten. And we went through that last week. And, and, but that didn't work. They went home rejoicing that they had the honor to, to suffer like Jesus. So it actually helped the church. because then we see uh, that more people are coming to faith because of this. And so... Again, we see the enemy attacking from within. And he's using division, discord, disunity from within the church to try to destroy the church. And so what you have here then is uh, the same kind of the same scenario. And then the enemy's gonna go back to trying. Actually, we're gonna see with Stephen that the enemy's gonna go to outright full persecution. The killing of Christians. We're going to see that in the next chapter. So you kind of see this flip-flopping. Ex- external opposition, internal opposition. External opposition, internal and so on. And so that's what you see here in this passage. But the, the solution here is remarkably mundane. But let me just, but I want to imp- give you guys the, the impact of the importance of this is that in this situation, now, you know, is that God could have operated in any number of ways. We'll get into this. But God it used an organizational system to, resi- to resist this. And so, the church needs organizational systems. We, we need them in our lives, too. We, we've talked about that, okay? But let, let me talk about why. Steve's a little ahead of me. That's okay. Let me talk about why. Why do we need organizational systems? Why is this important? Well, he's already tipped my hand here, okay? First of all, we need systems because God cares about organizational systems. God cares deeply about organizational systems. Now, I'm going to give you all a big biblical picture here of what what I mean here, okay? First of all, uh, the Bible speaks at length on how things or to be organized and in order. Um, How things are supposed to function in order and harmony. So, I mean, throughout the Bible, it's about order and harmony, or the restoration of order and harmony. Uh, It's the idea of redemption and restoration. But let's just go back to to creation. Think about creation. What happened in creation? We're we're told that that God created all things out of nothing. You know, ex nihilo, God creates this universe. And it says that, the, the, that the, the world, the earth, was formless and void. And so there was this sense of chaos and disorderliness. And then it be, God begins to put order to it. And you start to see this order, this rhythm. You know, let there be light, let there be waters, let there be this, let there be that. And, and, and in a very poetic, almost song-like way, in chapter 1 particularly, you get this pattern set out in a in, in pattern of days, this order and creation being created out of mess into order, out of dust, right, to beauty. And so that's what you, the picture here. And then you, as you go in, I'm not, I can't go to everything, but then you look at the creation of God's people, Israel, and you begin to, God begins to give them what we know as the law. And the law is about having order and, and rhythm and, and, and in our lives so that uh, there isn't chaos and there isn't just mess in our lives. And so God gave the law for those purposes morally, but also if you look at the ceremonial laws and the, and the religious rites and everything, it was all very orderly to the point where the color of the curtains of the tabernacle and the kind of gold and the material... Everything was ordered and laid out very, very, very specifically. Um, And then you come into the New Testament, the church, and there's countless passages that speak to and refer to the organizing and the structuring of the church, but also our own lives. And so, you know, you talk about the leadership, the governance, the membership, how we're to function together. The the, the New Testament is full of... Of organizing principles for the church. And so God is saying something, <laughs> right? Um, and, and I don't know if we just we did we recently did a series called Breathing Room. And it was on creating margin in our lives. And we looked at principles like Sabbath, we looked at principles like tithing and, and so on, which are, are about creating space in your life. Okay, so having enough order and enough organization and enough intentionality in our lives and enough trust in God as well so that we have room for others. So we have room to be generous. So we have room to, be, to have time for other people. and so that our li- But the, most of us are, live our lives beyond what we can do, right? Um, what, what we say is you know, most of us you know, spend so much time we, our lives, you know, we're never having enough time. Uh, and, but with money, you just borrow, right? We just borrow a bunch of extra money and so on. But we saw that that to have order and systems and intentionality with our time, with our money, with our resources and so on gives us the ability to better love God and better love others. And so God cares deeply about Organizational systems. So if God cares so much about organizational systems, we should too. Even if you're somebody like me who starts to hear about spreadsheets, organizational systems, committees, this structure, that structure, this rule, that rule, I want, I'm ready to go. I'm a shoot from the hip, fly by the seat of your pants, you know, and those of y'all who have been on this church planning team with me this period of time know exactly how frustrating it is especially our more organized types, like my wife. She, I drive her crazy. She's like, what's the plan? Who needs a plan, right? It's vacation. We don't need a plan for vacation. Anyway, she needs a plan. So we need systems because God cares about systems. And, and but, we, but The reason is, is because systems create balance and harmony. Okay, take, take a look at this, okay? So in this scenario, the, the apostles had a choice. Okay, so this division arises, and so the, the, the Jewish part of the church, they're pretty good at caring for widows and those kind of people, because that's a, that's a big history with the, the Jewish people. That was a part of their requirements, was that they care for the poor, the widow, and so on, right? And so they were probably pretty good at that. Well, the Greeks weren't so good at that. But now they're being taught, hey, this needs to happen or whatever, and they see all, these, all the widows and people that need help. The Jews, they're getting help. But there, and so some neglect is happening, and so the apostles have a choice here. Okay, first of all, okay, they could continue to do what they believe is their role in the church, which is to be devoted to God's word and prayer. In other words, that they would be the teachers, the equippers, the, the the leaders of the church, right? And so uh, they could continue doing that, and in so doing, just continue neglecting this part of the church, right? Which is going to continue to be a problem. It's not going to go away. Okay? The, the Greek part of the church is going to continue to get upset, and bitch, you might even end up with like a church split or something. Okay, uh, that, that, that was a choice that they could have made. They could have said, let's just continue on. It's really important that we continue in the Word and doing what God has called us to do. Okay? Another option was that they could have um, said, okay, let's begin to pick up the slack. Let's go help these widows. So come on guys. Let's go. Throw up our sleeves, you know, and you know in church planting, this happens. When, when, there's a, when there's a gap, when there's a hole, guess who fills it? Me. Right? I mean it's nobody else, it's me. Right? If nobody's here to do setup, nobody here to do whatever, Russell goes to do it. Right? And there's, that's okay. There's a part of that's okay. But, so that's what they could have done. They could have rolled up their sleeves and gotten to work. But inevitably, they wouldn't have had as much time in the devotion of God's word and prayer and into leading the church to do their God-given role. So that looks good. Initially, it looks good to see your pastor roll up his sleeves and empty the garbage can on occasion, right? You know, we need, and I do that. Now, I'm not, I am not above anybody in any role in this place. And so, like, for example, we say we want everybody who's able and partially willing to help with us in the children's ministry. Unless there's some reason you shouldn't, right? And so I'm willing to put myself in that. And so once a year, at least, once a year, I will be over there serving. I've already done it this year. I'm going to do it again. Okay? We'll have somebody else preach, and I'll be over there with the kids helping out. It's fun. It's great. Right? But... If I can't, if I'm going to ask you to do it, well, I can't, so on. That's cool. But if I do that every week, who's going to, got it? You can't do that. This doesn't work. And so they could done that. So they come up with a pretty interesting solution. It is pretty cool stuff, actually. So um, the third option, which is what happens here, is that they begin to create systems, organizational systems, that would allow them to accomplish both ends. That they could remain devoted, and yet the, the, these widows would not be neglected. See, that is the power of systems. I, again, I, I'm this the word organizational and systems? Even those words just bother me. I don't know why. I just don't like those kind of words. But I've seen the power that they can have in helping the people of God help, and in our lives become more loving. To other people and, and caring for other people, and so, so, uh, and so, God created. Um, this. He led them through this conflict to create systems, um, and so, um, these systems create balance and harmony. In, in other words, by having systems, we're able to create. To, to, so that everything functions and has the ap- appropriate uh, health, health, has the appropriate. So let me let me put it out this way. I'm trying to describe something here. Okay, think about the human body. The human body has systems, doesn't it? And every system has a purpose. And when those systems don't work out the way you think they should work out or they aren't functioning the way that they're designed to function, the body stops the functioning rightly, right? So let's just use the eating, for example. Okay, There's part of my body that is designed to eat. And it's a system that all works together. Like, so part of that is I smell it and I see it. If I can't smell it and I see it, I, you know, I may, may have a problem. It might be poisonous, it might be dangerous, right? So think about it, the eyes and the nose, Maybe the ears, it might be sizzling sounds, I might be burn my mouth, I might want to wait a minute, right, so on. So there's systems all at work, and then I, and once I decide that, okay, this is something good to put in my mouth, I put it in my mouth, in my teeth, and the muscles all start to function and work together, hopefully, right, unless you didn't take care of your teeth and now you have dentures and you're, you can't find them or something, then, then you can't chew, so yeah, now you have another problem so you have to figure out another supplement to that system. But then, okay, let's say it's all working. You chew that up, and, and your, your, your tongue is involved because your tongue is, is also evaluating, okay, is this okay? Is this going to kill me? Yes, it's broccoli. It's going to kill me. Spit it out. No, just kidding. Um, uh, whatever, right? And, and so you chew this up, and then you swallow it, and it, the, the, the muscles of the esophagus and whatever, I'm not a doctor, but, you know, and it goes into your system, and then your stomach starts to do its thing, and it starts to uh, digest this, which then pushes it into your digestive, into your bloodstream, and you get nourishment from it or whatever. And then other systems start to take over, which are to take what's left of that good food and to remove them from the body. And if that doesn't work, okay, food went in, it needs to go out, right? And we think all these systems have to happen, and, and some of these systems... Are more glamorous than others. You know, the, the, the mouth is very glamorous. You know, we put lipstick on and we get braces and all, right? It's a very prominent, very. It's funny because, so Apostle Paul talks about this almost exactly. Take a look at this. In, in uh, Corinthians, uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 12, he says this For the body does not consist of one member but of many systems. if, if if all were a single member, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, yet one body. The eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you. Nor, again, the hands to the feet, I have no need of you. On the contrary, the parts of the whole body that seem to be weaker are indispensable, and those parts of the body that we think less honorable, we bestow the greatest honor. In our unpresentable parts are treated with greater modesty which are which our more presentable parts do not require but god has so composed the body giving greater honor to the part of the body that lacked it that there may be no division in the body but that the members may have the same care for one another so in other words what he's going on about here is that the body is a system and it has to work together right and there are parts that are more honorable, okay? And there's the parts that require, as you notice, more modesty. So in other words, there's parts where food has to go in, but if you don't have the part where food can come out, there's a problem. And, but it's a system, and without it, there's um, disharmony. There's disunity. There's a breakdown. And the same is true in our lives, and the same is true in the church. If we, and, and, and the larger a church gets, the more complex or more people you have, the more complex your systems have to be. It's just, a re, re, just So, you know, if you're small and you know everybody's name, you can get by a little bit easier by shooting from the hip, okay? But churches have always had systems and always had order and so on and, and, uh, and so on. Uh, So, we need systems because they create balance and harmony, okay? But also, not just that, but a deeper thing is we need systems and organizations because it's how we're designed. God created us as human beings to need other people, okay? Notice in Genesis Genesis 2, after God creates man, he says... Man, it is good. It is very good. But then he says the first thing that wasn't good, it's not good for man to be alone. And so um, and then we see that you know, God creates Adam and creates Eve, and there's this beautiful harmony relationship, and then the fall breaks this. And you have um, you know, basically broken relationship, broken relationship with God, broken relationship with each other, and so there's this promise, the crushed head of the serpent, that one day, you know, I will defeat this enemy and there will be order. There will be a restoration of these relationships, okay? So, and as Christians, we are saved not to be saved individually as a, a per, one person. We are saved to become a part of the body of Christ. We are, we are saved to become a part of the church. And so... Throughout the New Testament, there's this call and this reality that we're not just saved alone, but we're saved into a body, the body of Christ. So in Matthew 28 19, Jesus tells his uh, disciples to go make disciples, and he tell them to teach them, all I teach you, but, and also to baptize them, which baptism is about becoming a part of God's people. So he's like, teach them. Show them what they need to know, include them into the body. All right, and so, but also, Christian growth requires that we rely upon other people's help. So, even in your personal Christian life, if you want to grow, you want to see transformation. That has to happen in community. Why? why do I say that? Look at uh, Hebrews three thirteen. In one place, there's many reasons. Here's one place where you see it's just super profound. Exhort one another, or in, this is encourage, press, you know, encourage, and it's a little bit stronger, like press forward each other. Uh, exhort one another every day, as long as it is called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. There's an assumption here in this passage that if you go it alone, you will deceive yourself. Okay, this is what we call blind spots. Okay, it's when you can't see something in yourself that other people can see. <laughs> right, we all have them. We don't like to admit it. Okay, and every once in a while, people close to us are, uh, feel safe enough to point them out. Right? And then people that don't like us are very eager to point them out sometimes. Right, um, But it's a blind spot, and we all have them. Because there's this deceitfulness in the heart of of each and every one of us. And so this is why he's saying, be in community with others, encouraging one another all the time. And so God, but then God also created the church to function as a body. This means collectively. There's an amazing illustration of this. Um, uh, In Exodus chapter 17, um, you have Moses And he's leading the people of God. And they are faced with battle against the Amalekites. And so they go to battle with the Amalekites. And here, bring that up for me there, Exodus 17. Check this out. And I'll apply this. Okay, then Amalek came and fought with Israel at Rephidim. And Moses said to Joshua, Choose for us men and go out and fight with Amalek. Tomorrow I will stand on top of the hill with the staff of God in my hand. So Joshua did as Moses told him and fought with Amalek And while Moses, Aaron, and Hur went up to the top of the hill. Whenever Moses held up his hand, Israel prevailed. And whenever he lowered his hand, Amalek prevailed. But Moses' hands grew weary. So they took a stone and put it under him, and he sat on it. And while Aaron and Hur held up his hands, one on one side and one on the other side. So his hands were steady until the going down of the sun, and Joshua overwhelmed Amalek and his people with the sword. Y'all heard this story? It's really interesting to me. Because uh, what you see here is um, this, you know, when he raised his hand, they would win. When he lowered it, what's going on here? Like, what, what, what's, it's like, is that a magic stick? Right? Um, uh, the, the Gospel Transformation Bible has some commentary, and I thought they said this well. It says, here we discover an important lesson. Sustained prayer was an unseen uh, basis for successful battle. Moses stands in the position of prayer, holding up his hands, okay, or his staff, while he, when he prayed in a posture of godly dependence, Israel prevailed. When he ceased, Israel faltered. Right? And so, when his hands are up, they're winning. When his hands go down, they lose, okay? And this uh, interesting idea here is that when, when we depend on God, he, we will prevail. When we don't, we don't, right? But what's the problem? Holding your arm up for a long time by yourself is impossible for any human being. I don't care if you're Arnold Schwarzenegger. If you try to hold your arm up in a position like that all day, you will fail likely, okay? And that's what happened. He's failed. And so they figured out a way to, so that Aaron and her could support his arms as he would stay in this position of dependence on God. He needed their help and he needed their support. Which, what's really interesting about this passage, though, which I want to get you guys to catch, out here, catch here, is um, think about the different battles that went on with, with Israel and other armies. <laughs> There was many different ways they defeated the enemy. There were even times, like we we saw in 2 Chronicles chapter uh, 20, I believe it was, uh, when when God defeated the enemies of Israel even before they got out of bed. They woke up and their enemies had killed themselves somehow. Okay? So God didn't need Moses' stick to be in the air. Did he? No. But it was a picture. It was a sign. It was saying, you know, when we depend on you, when we look to you, we will win. Right? You will, we will have victory because you are God and we will win. And, and But there's this other picture of, of, of this community coming together in support so that they can uh, help each other. And it's a really powerful picture. And I think it's a very similar picture we see here. We see a lot of miraculous things going on, helping this new church going on. You see, um, you know, the apostles getting freed from prison miraculously. You see people being healed. You see, uh, you know, God acting out and striking people dead in protection of the church. And so then you have this division and all this amazing, miraculous stuff is going on. God could have dealt with this situation just as miraculously. He could have made all those widows no longer widows. I mean, there's any number of miraculous solutions that could have happened here in chapter 6. And yet, what we see is a committee. Right? And what we see is the power of coming together, working together, supporting one another, and, and uh, serving one another. We see the power that God can use in even something that mundane. So let me, let's, let's just boil this down. First of all, you know, what we see in all this is that individuals, we need other people. You know, we cannot chart this world alone. And as God's people, we can't chart this alone. However, when we step into relationships with other people, and the more of those relationships we have, the more complexity, but the thing is, the more complexity, but also the more mess. Right? I mean, We've talked about this before. You put sinners together in any proximity to each other, you get drama. This is the whole premise of reality TV, is you put people together in a house or on an island or something, give them some kind of goal, and man, you will have drama. You'll have mess. You'll have disunity. You'll have fighting. You'll have what makes for good TV. And that's um, exactly what happens. And so um, those relationships... Those encounters with other people need to have rules, need to have systems and organization. Even just between two people. Think about a marriage. If your marriage has no rules, it's not going to make it. Now, some of them are basic, you know, don't see other people, although some people don't even have that rule, right? You know, let's make this a, you know, one-on-one marriage here, okay? Let's commit to each other, okay? But some people don't do that, okay? But... That's that's a basic rule, but just think about the um, the many other unspoken rules that we have in our relationships. For example, I met a couple a long time ago, or five, six, seven years ago, and they had been they were married. They were celebrating their sixty fifth anniversary. I was like, wow, that's amazing. Like, how often have you made somebody has been married that long? And so I was like, okay, I had had them just for a moment. I was like, so tell me. How did you do it? And they kind of looked at each other and smiled, and he spoke, and he said, we learned to fight fair. That was his answer. 65, in other words, they had a rules. They had rules go- governing how they would fight. Instead of going for the jugular, they would fight fair. I mean, that makes sense, right? I talk to, you know, when I do marriage counseling today, I say, you know, you know how you fight is important. You're going to fight how you do it. The rules that you engage the rules of engagement, as they say, are super important. And so in our relationships with others, we have to have systems and organizations. Now, and as a church, we have to have them too. And this is the love-hate part of this that I, that I struggle with, okay? Because I know God cares deeply about systems and organization. I know God is a God of order and harmony, but I'm a mess, <laughs> And that just exposes my mess even more. And I'm just not a, a disciplined, organized kind of person. And that's where I've learned to, hope to, to lean on people that are more so, right? But the church has to have systems. For example, um, when I was uh, a pastor over at Pinewood, uh, the last few years I was there, my job was uh, I was in charge of small groups and assimilation. You know what assimilation is? Assimilation is a system of taking somebody that's brand new to the church and helping them plug in and become a you know a vital regular part of the community, right? That is a lot easier said than done. You know, in a small group like this, we can we can there, it's much more relational. It's much there. It had to be a system. If it wasn't a system in place, there wasn't steps to be made. There wasn't places for people to plug in. There weren't people assigned to certain roles. You know, we for example, we had over sixty greeters that would serve at about 10 different entrances and exits on any given Sunday. That has to require a system. I hated it, but it needed it. Because guess what? If we didn't organize it, nobody was at the doors. And nobody said hello. And everybody, you ask at Pinewood, hey, is Pinewood a friendly church? Yes. You no, know, it's friendly for you, but not for the new guy, right? And so we had to have these systems organized. And so now here we are as this new little church, Uh, And we need to have systems. We need to have organizational systems in place. Just like this. Because if we don't, there's going to be a lack of harmony. There's going to be a lack of balance. We're going to do well over here, but we're going to do horrible over here. Because this early church, right at the beginning, they're, they're growing and all this is happening, and they are doing some really cool, Like, right? This is like good stuff is happening. But... But it wasn't all good, was it? A whole group of people are being neglected and so as a church, if we're not intentional, we're not thoughtful we're gonna we're gonna have the same issues and so uh, th- this is about being loving and it's about what is it how does it look like for us to serve together as the body um, so that as a church we love well and so um, and, and let me just, last word here, you know, we're, this is a, right, this is a Presbyterian church, like, and what that means is, in its core, is how we're governed. The word Presbyterian, which is a weird word, isn't it? It's because when you borrow words from the Greek language, sometimes it's weird. And so, the, the Presbyterian is the word Elder. It's the Greek word for elder, presbuteros. Y'all needed to know that, right? Uh, you can go home and say you know a Greek word now. Um, presbuteros means elder. And and so the, it's about how the church is organized and how it is uh, systematically run. And as a church, we are led and run by elected elders. And that's a system, right? And we also elect and have deacons. Now, as a mission church, we don't have deacons yet. Uh, one of these days we will. We have elder, borrowed elders right now from Pinewood, and one day we will elect our own elders and so on. But par- part of my love-hate relationship with, with Presbyterianism is how organized it is. It is like organized beyond organization, and there's times where it just drives me crazy. Next week, I get the joy. I'm gonna do, I hate when people do this, but I'm going to do it. The, the joy. "Quote ears," uh, the joy of going to what we call presbytery, and that's where pastors and elders from uh, the North Florida region come together, and we talk about rules, and uh, we make motions, and it's just you know, it drives me crazy. I I want to punch people in the throat when I leave there. However, okay, when a pastor falls or a church goes into division, or when, the, when things, it's like, you know, we, we, it's like you don't care about the safety net until somebody falls, right? And so, but the part I love about Presbyterianism is the fact that every pastor, every elder, they're accountable to each other. And these systems, these governances and all this, govern how we, re- we react and how we deal with one another, different things of this sort, so that it doesn't turn into a chaotic mess. And there's not, you know, this guy trying to leave, this the guy, whatever. So, I, I love it. I hate it. <laughs> Is that possible? To hate and love something at the same time? Uh, uh, but I do. I really do. I love it. And I hate it. Um, so, last call here, though. Okay? We need you guys. Okay? We need you guys to be a part of the system, so to speak. And, and systems can be mechanical or they can be, Loving, gracious, and organic as well, like the body should be, right? We're not, a body's not a, a cold, nasty machine. I think churches can, can become cold, nasty machines. They really can. I've been in those. Um, but a, a good, loving, warm operating system like the human body, when it's functioning well, is a beautiful thing, isn't it? It really is. And so... Uh, We need you guys. And so we're going to be having to, already now, already feeling the pressure again to, okay, what are the systems we need to have in place so it doesn't fall to certain people, you know, one person or two people or whatever. So we're going to need you there. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I know this is, uh, for me and many of us, a a snoozer, just a a really boring... (laughs) tedious topic, but Lord, um, as we see in this passage, uh, when we have good organizational systems and uh, that they can help us to really love and, and, and do what you called us to do well. And so, Lord, um, help us, number one, to have uh, good organizational systems in our lives with our time, with our finances, um, with the relationships and emotional capacities of our lives, we talked about in the series breathing room but lord here help us as a church to number one be committed to the systems here at the church um that, that also that help us to, to, to know the right systems and also help us to have systems that will be best loving to those involved but also those being served and so lord um we thank you that uh you've uh, died to purchase this church this body and help us to be passionate about it. And we pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Which is what we see in the, um, this table.